Boy, games and photography. It was always a surprise to me that I was good at games. It was an even greater surprise that I was exceptionally good at two of them. One of these was called Fives, the other was Squash Rackets. Fives, which many of you will know nothing about, was taken seriously at Repton, and we had a dozen massive glass-roofed Fives courts kept always in perfect condition. We played the game of Eaton Fives, which is always played by four people, two on each side, and basically it consists of hitting a small, hard, white, leather-covered ball with your gloved hands. The Americans have something like it, which they call handball, but Eaton Fives is far more complicated because the court has all manners of ledges and buttresses built into it, which help to make it a subtle and crafty game. Fives is possibly the fastest ball game on earth, far faster than squash, and the little ball ricochets around the court at such speed that sometimes you can hardly see it. You need a swift eye, strong wrist, and a very quick pair of hands to play fives well. And it was a game I took to right from the beginning. You may find it hard to believe, but I became so good at it that I won both the junior and senior school fives in the same year when I was 15. Soon I bore the splendid title, Captain of Fives, and I would travel with my team to other schools like Shrewsbury and Uppingham to play matches. I loved it. It was a game without physical contact, and the quickness of the eye and the dancing of the feet were all that mattered. A captain of any game at Repton was an important person. He was the one who selected the members of the team for matches. He, and only he, could award colors to any others. He would award school colors by walking up to the, cho the chosen boy after a match and shaking him by the hand and saying, Graggers, on your teamer. These were magic words. They entitled the new teamer to all manner of privileges, including a different colored hat band on a straw hat and fancy braid around the edges of his blazer and different colored games clothes and all sorts of other advertisements that made the teamer gloriously conspicuous among his fellows. A captain of any game, whether it was football, cricket, fives, or squash, had many other duties. It was he who, primed, who pinned the notice on the school notice board on match days announcing the team. It was he who arranged fixtures by letter with other schools. It was he and only he who had it in his power to invite this master or that to play against him and his team on certain afternoons. All these responsibilities were given to me when I became captain of fives. Then came the snag. It was more or less taken for granted that a captain would be made a bozer in recognition of his talents. If not a school bozer, then certainly a house bozer. But the authorities did not like me. I was not to be trusted. I did not like rules. I was unpredictable. I was therefore not bozer material. There was no way they would agree to make me a house bozer, let alone a school bozer. Some people are born to wield power and to exercise authority. I was not one of them. I was in full agreement with my housemaster when he explained this to me. I would have been I would have made a rotten bozer. I would have let down the whole principle of bozerdom by refusing to beat the fags. I was probably the only captain of any game who had never become a bozer at Repton. I was certainly the only unbozer double captain because I was also captain of squash rackets, and to pile glory upon glory, I was in the school football team as well. A boy who is good at games is usually treated with great civility by masters at an English public school. In much the same way, the ancient Greeks revered their athletes and made statues of them in marble. Athletes were the demigods, the chosen few. They could perform glamorous feats beyond the reach of ordinary mortals. Even today, fine footballers and baseball players and runners and all other great sportsmen have much admired by the general public and advertisers use them to sell breakfast cereals. This never happened to me, and if you'd really want to know, I'm awfully glad it didn't. 
But because I loved playing games, life for me at Repton was not totally without pleasure. Games playing at school is always fun if you happen to be good at it, and it is hell if you are not. I was one of the lucky ones, and all those afternoons on the playing fields and in the fives courts and in the squash courts made the otherwise gray and melancholy days pass a lot more quickly. There was one other thing that gave me great pleasure at the school, and that was photography. I was the only boy who practiced it seriously, and it was not quite so simple a business 50 years ago as it is today. I made myself a little dark room in a corner of the music building, and in there I loaded my glass plates and developed my negatives and enlarged them. Our arts master was a shy, retiring man called Arthur Norris, who kept himself apart, well apart from the rest of the staff. Arthur Norris and I became close friends, and during my last year, he organized an exhibition of my photographs. He gave the whole of the art school over to this project and helped me to get my enlargements framed. The exhibition was rather a success, and masters who had hardly ever spoken to me over the past four years would come up and say things like, It's quite extraordinary. We didn't know we had an artist in our midst. Are they for sale? Arthur Norris would give me tea cakes, tea and cakes in his flat, and would talk to me about painters like Cezanne and Manet and Matisse, and I have a feeling that it was there, having tea with a gentle, soft-spoken Mr. Norris in his flat on Sunday afternoons, that my great love of painters and their work began. After leaving school, I continued for a long time with photography, and I became quite good at it. Today, given a 35mm camera and a built-in exposure meter, anyone can be an expert photographer, but it was not so easy 50 years ago. I used glass plates instead of film, and each of these had to be loaded into separate container in the darkroom before I set out to take pictures. I usually carried with me six loaded plates, which allowed me only six exposures, so that clicking the shutter even once was a serious business that had to be carefully thought out beforehand. You may not believe it, but when I was 18, I used to win prizes and medals from the Royal Photographic Society in London, and from other places like the Photographic Society of Holland, I even got a lovely big bronze medal from the Egyptian Photographic Society of Cairo, and I still have the photograph that won it. It is a picture of one of the so-called seven wonders of the world, the Arch of Sesfahan in Iraq. This is the largest unsupported arch on earth, and I took the photograph while I was training out there for the RAF in 1940. I was flying over the desert solo in an old Hawker Hot biplane, and I had my camera around my neck. When I spotted the huge arch standing alone in a sea of sand, I dropped one wing and hung in my straps and let go of the stick while I took aim and clicked the shutter. It came out fine.